Yeah, who believes Jesus is worthy today? Anybody believe that in the house? He is worthy. He's worthy of our quiet reflection, and he's worthy of our boisterous praise. How many are thankful that he looks at our hearts, and the thing that moves his heart is our heart? Ravished by his love, turned toward him in a posture of receptivity and reciprocation, that what he's lavished on us, we in the smallest, weakest way want to give it back to him. In that little movement of receiving, responding, moves the God of creation and the God of the covenant's heart. And so one of the reasons why we believe in the power of prayer and why we want to have a fire of worship on the altar corporately of this house is because hearts that are given over to Jesus are the thing that God is looking for. How many think God's looking for money? How many think God's looking for a counsel who can give him wise insight on how he should run the world? How many believe what he's after is you and me? He's after us. And so as a people, when we say, here we are, we think it's a pretty good gig that you paid it all. We can enter into your presence with boldness, with freedom, with confidence, and be unashamed, uncondemned. We think it's a pretty awesome deal to take our place in the holy of holies with the blood of Jesus on our hearts and his robe of righteousness wrapped around our our garments and his ring of favor and that place of sonship where we're an heir to all the Son of God has purchased with his blood and made available by his Holy Spirit. As a people, we're like, that's awesome. Woohoo! We think it's cool. We don't think it's something to be grumpy about or indifferent towards or okay, they're radical. No, we believe it's the inheritance of every son and daughter in this house to be a wholehearted worshiper of Jesus in the spirit and the truth. I don't know why I'm saying that, but someone needed to hear it. Praise God. Well, um, it's good to be back. Thank you guys for your faithfulness. Pastor Andrew preached to me my favorite message he's ever preached last week. Can we give a holler to Pastor Andrew for bringing a great word? It, was, it actually was awesome, my wife and I watching Cornerstone Online in our living room. To experience it on that end was really special. Um, so shout out to all of those, whatever angle's working right now. Can we just say, we love you, you're a part of our church, even though you're online somewhere, whatever. It really, it, it actually really is neat to join a group of people who are looking at Jesus so they can learn from Jesus so they can live like Jesus. And we do that in person and online. So we just thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, Pastor Andrew, for bringing a great word and uh, to follow Jesus, fish for people as a family. Well, as we lead up to Easter, I have a, um, a, a selection of passages. When I, when I was fighting through COVID and um, I... One of the, to me, the hardest hit was not the sniffles or the chest or the 
it was the fogginess of mind. Um, there's many symptoms or whatever. Um, but I couldn't really engage. Like, I'm a, I, like, I love to read. I love to think. I love to write. It was one of my, the gifts that God has given me. But it was, like, almost worthless. And so for our two-week quarantine, I, you know, you have all these desires. I got two weeks. I got to get well. And I'm going to read and press in. And, like, I would be able to read, like, three verses. And I'm like, uncle, you know. Out. I'm just like, okay, I'll just think about, let's just pick one verse. <laughs> Am I talking to anyone? Anyone ever had foggy brain where you had a hard time focusing? Okay. Is that where we live most of the time? Or So that was my COVID experience. And, uh, but I, I, I lived for two weeks. I lived in Mark 8, 9, and 10. Mark chapter 8, 9, and 10. And if you've read the gospel of Mark, it's the shortest gospel. You can read it in about an hour and a half, wheels up to wheels down without COVID. 16 chapters, you could crush it. Just get a whole gospel baptism. But this section of Mark chapter 8, in particular, verse 22 through the end of Mark 10, 54, whatever, you can just look it up, 58, whatever the last verse of Mark 10 is, Scholars call it the way section. Say that with me, the way section. So it's that point in the gospel where Jesus has already proved his credentials as the Messiah who can forgive sins. How many are thankful for his authority over sin? Yeah, you couldn't do anything about it. No man, the psalmist says, can give any amount of money or ransom for his own soul. Praise God, he's got authority to forgive sins that his blood was the redemptive price and it was paid in full to liberate us from sin. He's, got, he's been showing the disciples in the first seven, eight chapters that he's got authority over the demonic realm. How many are thankful? There's a real enemy, but there's a greater savior than the enemy. So demons bow, they flee. He's shown that he had authority over sickness. He heals the blind. He unstops the deaf ears. He causes the lame to get up and walk. He can look at a paralyzed man and he doesn't leave paralyzed. He even raises the dead. How many are thankful for his authority over sickness and over disease? And then we see Jesus on two occasions in just the first eight chapters of Mark. He feeds 9,000 just men. I mean, we don't know. Some scholars think 20,000, 30,000, 40,000 if you include women and children. He's fed thousands with five loaves and two fish. So he's proven to be capable to match and meet and exceed because there were seven basketfuls and then 12 basketfuls. He has authority over the mass need of humanity to feed so that everyone doesn't just have enough, but more than enough. How many are thankful that this is just the first eight chapters of Jesus and Mark showing us these different lenses and frameworks for who the Messiah Jesus really is. And then we get to the way section. It's not that Jesus has hidden who he is and the way his kingdom works. He's been revealing it all along. But there's this moment right here in Mark chapter eight where Jesus finally looks at his boys. There's probably some women there actually also, but certainly his 12 that he picked. And he asks them point blank, who do people say that I am? 
He's like, tell me. Like, what are you guys hearing? <laughs> I love in one occasion in, in Mark's gospel that Jesus like tried to go to this village and keep his presence a secret because he wanted a secret class with his disciples because he knew they had their work cut out for him. They were really slow to understand. And I love, there's a passage in Mark that it literally says that he, it was impossible for him to keep his presence a secret. Jesus just made a mess of the enemy's work everywhere he went. Then he finally looks at him point blank in Mark's gospel and he, he's like, who do you guys say that I am? I know that to the crowds, to those who are impressed by my authority and my ability to heal, to provide, to cast out demons, to forgive sins, I'm sure that that has stirred up a whole host of opinions and thoughts as to what, who I really am. But you guys, I really want to know what you think of me. And it's that, that beautiful passage where the disciples, they just start firing. Well, some say you're like John the Baptist, even though Herod already beheaded him because he confronted Herod with his sin of taking his brother's wife and problem. Some say you're like Elijah or you're one of Israel's like old school prophets, you know, with authority and your unconventional ways and your call to repentance and your zeal and passion for God's justice and righteousness. Some say you're like a prophet. It's like, okay, 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 cool. I've heard that too. I'm aware of what the crowds think. I know how crowds work, but you guys are my homies. Who do you say that I am? And it's that beautiful moment where Peter, Peter, the rock foot in your mouth, Peter, come on, somebody. <laughs> Peter's like, you're the Messiah. You're the Christ. You're the anointed royal heir to David's throne. That's what it meant. Or at least he thought that's what it meant. And Jesus said, great, don't tell anybody. A plus answer on the surface, Peter is dead right. You're the Messiah, true. You're God's anointed ruler, the heir to David's royal throne. But how you would fulfill your messianic vocation, you guys have a lot of learning to do as to how I'm going to come into my kingdom, how I'm going to be exalted on my throne in Jerusalem. It's not going to look like the throne you anticipated me sitting on. So it was like, Peter, you nailed the answer, but how I'm going to fulfill all of Israel's hopes and expectations and the vocation from which my father sent me, I left glory to become a slain and slaughtered lamb to bear away the sins of the world and to bring my father's kingdom and to ratify his new covenant with my blood, which is Holy Spirit for all people, all flesh. He's like, how I'm going to get there, I don't want you to tell anybody that you know I'm the Messiah, even though the Lord, the Father showed that to you, if you read Matthew 16's account. But how you, how you guys have been trained and raised, how, how you think the Messiah is gonna do his thing, you are woefully mistaken for how I'm going to fulfill my messianic vocation so yes, you nailed my identity, but how it's going to play out, you don't know nothing yet. So just don't tell anybody. Are you tracking with me? 
So Peter, like in one instant, he's like, I got the answer. And literally in the Greek, when Jesus warned them, the word warned not to tell anybody, it's he rebuked them. So it's like, Jesus, what are you doing? This is very common for rabbis and their students. Rebuke is a beautiful thing. How many love the rebuke of God? He does it not so that we hide and cower, but that we step further in and say, okay, if it's not like you, get rid of it. Rebuke is beautiful when it's from the Lord. And so he actually rebukes him. You got it, but don't tell anybody. The the word in, in the original is he rebukes him, right? And then what does he do? Open your Bibles. This is This is brilliant. Mark chapter eight, after verse 30, Jesus warned them or rebuked them. He's like, don't tell anybody that you know. Verse 31, then he began to teach that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel, we'll save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say thanks be to God? And so he's like, who am I? The Messiah. Don't tell anybody. This is the first instance in Mark's gospel. We're halfway through. There's 16 chapters. It's right in the heart of the gospel where he lets them in on God's greater redemptive plan. How many believe there is often a hidden plan to us because we are dull or darkened or indifferent or apathetic in our understanding that there is a God who is sovereign over all of creation who is working towards a telos, an intended goal for his creation and for his people. How many believe that even though you and I are seldom like tracking with it, there is a God who has a plan and a purpose and no man, woman, boy, child or girl, whatever, can stand in the way of his plan coming forth. And so here Jesus lets the disciples, those that he handpicked way back in Mark chapter 3, verse 11 through 16, he chose the 12 by name 
to be those through whom God would reconstruct and constitute what it means to be the people of God, now rightly oriented around Jesus, the king of the everlasting kingdom. And he chooses these guys and he lets them in on that there is a plan that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit have been planning from before time began to redeem, restore, and reconcile all of creation to themselves. But it's a plan that no man planned first. It was God's brilliant plan. And he lets them in on that, yes, I'm God's Messiah. I'm the king of your dreams. But how I'm going to accomplish the purposes of my father are going to offend and confuse and confound you if you do not have the mind of God. If you're thinking on sheerly human terms, when you think on human terms, what sort of characteristics do you ascribe to a human leader that people would look to? Smart, powerful, wealthy, eloquent, from the right side of town, educated at the proper institution. We would go all arm of flesh on our list. And what Jesus says is those credentials are not, that's not the storyline that I left my glory and to assume the humanity, the flesh of humanity. That is the story of every other king. I'm a different king of a different kind of kingdom. My lot is a cross, but the cross is just the beginning of God's brand new world opening up because death will give way to life when my father vindicates the person perfect sacrifice of my life. That's good right there. That's deep. So Peter, in his mindset, he's going to have, okay, he's the Messiah, he's the king. He's going to be like a prophetic guru like Moses. He's going to be a, this is what all of them were thinking all growing up in synagogue, like God's Messiah. He's gonna be like super prophetic, know God face to face like Moses. He's gonna be like this mighty conqueror like Moses' protege, Joshua, is gonna slain and slaughter not just the five and the 31 nations, but he's gonna really destroy the op- oppo- opposers and oppressors of God's people, right? He's gonna be like the, the David is tens of thousands, Saul is thousands. He's gonna be even a greater warrior king than David. He's gonna be smarter and wiser and wealthier than Solomon. They had this entire storyline of their brilliant leaders and powerful kings before them. But Jesus is like, I'm thankful for all of those of whom I am grafted into the redemptive storyline, but I am going to be a king that is way different than every other king that came before me. If I operate out of the regular modus operandi of the kings of the day and the king playbook of 1 Samuel 8, you will not be adopted and brought into an everlasting kingdom because if the king is not different, his kingdom won't be different because the kingdom takes its shape from its king. Amen. That's why leadership really matters. So the organization, the family, the business, the classroom will take the shape of those who are in authority. Amen. I mean, we're seeing this. Authority figures fall with sin. I mean, just what a moment to try to be a leader with integrity in this hour. What an hour. 
where we are more impressed by someone who's eloquent. It's all of the things that Peter and the disciples wanted to put on Jesus and said, Jesus said, those, those things that you're thinking that I came to fulfill your version or vision of leadership or messianic, like all of those things are rooted in human concerns. They're not, they're not how I'm operating. Father and I have a plan and it's, it's straight through the cross. And anytime you and I think that there's another way to fulfill the vocation that God has for us as his people without taking the cross and saying yes to a life of sacrifice, sacri- uh, sacrifice, humility, servanthood, we're, 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 we're probably on a path that appears right to us and appeals to our flesh, but in the end, it's not gonna be the kingdom road. This whole passage, this whole story, what we're gonna do these next few weeks is we're gonna look how the disciples, because Jesus in this, in this two chapter, Mark 8, 9, and 10, in this three chapter run called The Way, every time Jesus tells them he's gonna die, the disciples manifest th- thoughts, attitudes, and agendas that are out of step with the kingdom of God. And at each turn, Jesus rebukes them and corrects them and tries to get them back in on the way his kingdom works. Aren't you glad he doesn't just leave us in our dullness or our deafness, but he works with us? Come on, somebody say amen to that. That he doesn't just throw it away. Oh, you disciples. I love it. If you read way up there in, in verse uh, 17, he's, he, look at this. 17, do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see, ears but fail to hear, and don't you remember? How many would say that's like a five for five, pick a fight? That's to his disciples. How many think that we are ever slow to understand as God's people? Can I get an amen? How many think we have eyes but we're not seeing? Or we got ears but we don't hear what the Spirit's saying? Come on, how many think you've ever been under the leavening influence of something other than the leaven of God's kingdom? How many think you've ever been stuck of thinking through merely human viewpoints and lenses instead of the 1 Corinthians 2.16, mind of Christ that is ours by the Spirit? And so what we're gonna do for these next few weeks, this is just an introduction. I kind of want to land the plane here in a minute. So we're gonna look at how this is why we actually engage in the global reality of the global church called Lent. It's just a journey towards the cross. It's 40 days where the global church stops and considers all of the ways we've been leavened by things contrary to the kingdom of God and the way of the cross. It's when we sit and go, God, Are we being energized? Are there leavening agents that are causing us to rise up and to get behind people or agendas or things that are not in line with the cross and the kingdom of God and the way of Christ? How many would say we've ever followed things that were not not God's best, that were not the way of the cross, the way of Jesus? And so Jesus tells the disciples, I'm going to be betrayed and suffer, rejected by all three 
of the temple authorities, the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law. I'm gonna be killed, but I'm gonna be raised again in three days. And Peter and the disciples just have no grid for it. How can the prophetic dude like Moses, the conqueror like Joshua, the the mighty warrior like David, the, the wise, wealthy reigning in righteousness and peace like Solomon, how can he, the king we were expecting, die? How does that work? I asked Drew, it was too late, but I, because I, you know, when I think about messages like this, I'm like, almost everyone in the room is gonna be like, okay, take up the cross, heard that before. Like, graduated from that class. The cross is in my rearview mirror. Let's go on to maturity. And Jesus is like, no, the cross isn't a like recreational activity for the people of God. It's a daily endeavor. And I wanted someone to get me this big, because how the cross worked in, in ancient first century under, under the Roman tyranny, oppression, is the condemned slaves or criminals would carry the crossbar, the beam. And I went, man, I'm gonna bring one. Someone bring me one or text me or email me later today. Bring me something I can wear for a dramatic effect. But when Jesus says, if, you're in, if you wanna follow my way, if you wanna participate in my kingdom, it's not through the way you think kings and kingdoms work. It's through the way of sacrifice. It's through the way of humility. It's through the way of laying down your life so you can actually find your life. It's not triumphing over. It's not conquering and coercing. It's not having all the stuff, all the bells and whistles. It's being shaped and formed by my cross so that you can reign and rule with me. And that self that is bent on self propping up and positions and power and prestige, that self needs to be nailed to the rugged tree so you can experience life as I designed it and purposed it. But you need the cross. How many would say they need the cross? Even when we don't think I need the cross, I promise you I need the cross because that self that is uncrucified will lead me down paths that promise so much at their entry, but when you walk down them a little bit, you find an emptiness and a barrenness of soul that no person, no position, no amount of money, no amount of fame, fortune, or followership can fulfill that void on whatever path that doesn't go through the path of the cross of Jesus Christ. How many have been there? You've walked a path that tried to avert the conversation that Jesus wanted to have, which is pick up your cross and follow me. In this way, friends, in this cultural moment, it's not the church's message to a broken world. It's not a message of, woo, look at, we're powerful, we have all the, look at, it's going to be a people who count the cost and who bear the cross so that we can emanate the glory of Jesus' healing, redemptive presence. If we walk in the same spirit as the world, is there something we're actually offering the world to drink of? Answer the question. If it looks like, sounds like, smells like, has the pomp and prompt and attitude like, friends, we need this season over these next few weeks leading up to 
Good Friday and Easter resurrection, we need to consider seriously the leaven that we're being influenced by And if it's not the leaven of King Jesus, and in particular, the way of his cross, how many want to lead the charge to repentance and say, Lord, search me and know me, cleanse any wayward way in me, because I want to look like Jesus. I want to love like Jesus. And it's amazing. Jesus rebukes Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. D. That's not a good day. Turn to your neighbor and say, that's not a good day. (laughs) But for Jesus, right here at the heart of the gospel, after he did all of the things I already showed you, the healing, the forgiveness, all of that's a part of the gospel. Aren't you thankful? But right here in the heart of it, the heart of it, he's like, guys, this is the way The kingdom comes the way the kingdom came and it's still the way the kingdom comes through the way of the cross. It's amazing in verse 34 because if you read the gospels with any sort of introspection, you see there's sort of these clear lines of crowds and disciples. But right here, after Jesus calls Peter, Satan, Get behind me. You're not thinking God's thoughts. You're thinking human thoughts. What's in it for you? We're going to see it over these next few weeks. Oh, how we get so wrapped up in me, my. What happens in, in, in Mark 8, 34? The disciples find themselves in the crowd. How many know in as much as we can progress and move forward and mature in our discipleship and growth in Christ. How many believe if we don't stay in step with the Spirit, yoked with Jesus, keep on carrying the cross, how many think it's pretty easy to fall back and to digress? Come on, somebody, be honest in the house. How many of you are like, man, I've, I've had, how many have had seasons of renewal or real progress and then seasons of rebellion or backsliding or I stopped moving with Jesus, I started picking up something else other than the cross and before I knew it, I wasn't closer to him. I found myself way back in the crowd and I want you to know, you don't have to stay back with the crowd. You can get back in the game, but you gotta pick up your cross. You gotta respond to the call of the king. Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. And to the disciples, unlike us, because it's so we're so far removed, it's so hard to articulate it. You gotta just sit with it. They knew exactly what this meant. One scholar who lived through the Holocaust, uh, I think his name was David, David Stern. That it was more effective when he was, because he's under the Nazi regime, he saw horrendous things and, and things done under the, you know, the false cross and the, you know, the weird twisted ideology of the Nazi reality. And this scholar this Jewish scholar, Messianic Jewish um, scholar, said it was more helpful instead of to, to just say the cross because the cross was so abused. Pick up your, 
he described it, your execution stake. Ugh. How many you know that doesn't make it softer or prettier? <laughs> Pick up your execution stake. But to be able to articulate what Jesus was getting at, because the cross was so manipulated in that, in, un, under what they lived through in the horrendous reality of oppression and violence and hatred and death, genocide. Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, it's on my terms and conditions. How many believe there's a lot of Jesus talk out there, but a lot of the Jesus talk looks a lot like our agendas, ideologies, and opinions, but how many want to say yes and submit to Jesus who alone is worthy to call the terms and to call us as his disciples to himself and to carry the cross? And he just does it. I'll end right here. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whatever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. Now answer me this. Do you think Jesus is grumpy and sad here and it's just doom and gloom and that Jesus doesn't really care about life and it's just, or do you think Jesus knows the only way to experience true life in his kingdom is if we're freed from the tyranny of ruling and running our own lives according to our own wisdom and agenda? Come on, how many would testify, I have had a front row seat to making a mess of my life when myself was not on a cross but was on a throne? So Jesus, the, the, I, I, I can't get over how loving it is that Jesus would call us to the cross. You know why? Because he knows that the only way for us to get in on the life that we crave all the way down in our soul is only attainable when we let go of our obsession to be our own kings and queens and to build our own empires apart from him and we surrender and submit to his lordship, to the law of his love, and as we carry the cross, Jesus, the most loving thing he could ever do by calling us to himself through the cross because he knows the cross is just the doorway in. There's resurrection life in God's kingdom, life in the spirit, the love, joy, all the things find their experience, their expression through the doorway of the cross. And the cross is offensive. Come on, who, how many know? They're like, really? The cross? Ugh. But Jesus is like, I ain't changing the dial. The only way to experience all that I came to give you to experience, it's only possible through the cross. It's foolish, it's offensive, but it's the way of Jesus. It's the way of his kingdom through the cross. I'm gonna close, I love, I love this passage. For the message of the cross is foolishness. Say foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Talk about offensive, the, the cross weakness, humility, sacrifice is the, it's actually the manifestation of the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise. There's so many who think they're wise in our day. The intelligence of the intelligent, I will frustrate. 
Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? How many are seeing the foolishness of the Lord's, of the, of the world's wisdom before our very eyes? Oh my gosh, the church, it, 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 our mess, okay, finish it. For God, for since the, in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. So in other words, friends, this is why we're a praying church and why I should say we're growing to be a praying church. We're never done. But we know that no one just comes to the conclusion, oh, I'm gonna trust Jesus. Yeah, the cross makes a whole lot of sense. How many know it's only when God, by his mercy and grace and through the Spirit, opens our blinded eyes to the reality that the cross is the wisdom of God and the power of God made manifest. In other words, in our cultural moment, when we want to fight fire with fire and agenda with agenda and power with power and coercion and manipulation and anger and hatred, none of those things are powerful enough to crack the rebellion of the human heart. Because the cross, it's a blind reality to those who've not been awakened in the mercy and grace and power of God's spirit. Come on, somebody, say amen. This is why we pray. This is why we pick up the cross. The way, it, the way God breaks in is not through our ingenuity or arm of flesh. It's a move of God's spirit. How many believe we are ripe for a fresh move of God's spirit? That we're beginning to see the futility of the world's wisdom. And then he says this, Jews demand a sign, Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling blocks to the Jews and it's foolishness to the Gentiles. Well, thanks a lot, Paul. But to those whom God has called, see, that's the key, say it, those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. How many would say right now by show of hands, there's someone in your life that God needs to call and reveal Jesus to? How many would say it? You just know for a fact that their, their, their eyes are blinded to the reality of their sin. They need Jesus to open their eyes so they can respond to God's salvation offer. And if, you're, if, you're, if that's you, would you just stand? I just want to close in praying for that. that. We want to say yes to the cross. We want to say yes to God, opening and calling people to himself. Through the foolishness of the cross, the world in its wisdom did not know him. But God was pleased. Someone say, God was pleased. Through something as foolish as preaching the cross, and resurrection of Jesus that God will actually save people. How many know today the world wants us to cower and to hide our message and to be ashamed of the cross and to change the narrative so we're more palpable, more culturally relevant? How many want to say a big no to that and a bigger yes to the cross today? 
Like we're not gonna change our message. We're not changing. We might, our methods might change. They've gotta change. It's a weird world, COVID restricting all this stuff. Whatever the method is, we'll follow the Holy Spirit. But our message and the mantle upon us, the cross of Jesus Christ and him crucified. How many would say, Chad, I want a fresh resolve not to change the message. I'm following Jesus no matter the cost, no matter what road he takes me down, I'm in. I want to be his disciple. And let's just lift our hands in intercession right now. Just lift those names that you know God needs to call to himself, that God needs to save right now. Just speak their name. Just say, Jesus, go get them. Call them in. Use me. Anoint me as I carry the cross to have such a winsome witness such a, a, a tenderness, a love, a purity, and a power that can only come through surrender. God, I want to walk in that. I want to walk in the way of the cross. I don't want to thank human thoughts. I want to thank God's thoughts. Come, Holy Spirit. Would you just anoint us as a church as we go on this journey for these next couple weeks to prepare for Easter God, all of those ways that we think in, in, in ways that are contrary to your word, would you come and just cleanse us? Come on, someone say it. Just come and cleanse us. Come and wash us. Come renew us. Come, Lord, rid our hearts of any leaven that's not the leaven of your kingdom. Any yeast that's causing us to rise and to get behind things that are not what you're behind. Come, Holy Spirit. Search us and know us. And fill us, I pray. For the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Just pray this simple prayer with me. Just say, Lord Jesus, send me out. Send us out on the way of the cross so that the power and wisdom of God are released through our lives. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.